Hello and welcome to the Thrive Online Podcast. This is our sermon series podcast and I wanted to thank you for joining us today. As we get going, I wanted to say that whether you are tuning in today from the car, the gym, or even your work or home, we pray that today's message inspires you and that it gives you hope and builds your faith. So let's lean in, turn up the volume, and get excited as we get ready to learn today. Good morning, Thrivers. Welcome to those of you who maybe are visiting for the first or the second time. We just want to say how much we recognize uh, what courage it takes to come to a new place and to uh, check out new places. And here's here's kind of what I'm guessing is if you're here for the first or the second time, chances are either someone that you trust invited you to be here or uh, maybe you were uh, just looking for a place to connect or reconnect to a local church because, you know, many of us got out of the habit over COVID and, and, or maybe you moved here in the last year or so and you just never had a chance to connect to a church and so you're kind of branching out. And, and maybe there are some of you who just felt somehow in some way uh, as you've been looking for hope, looking for life, uh, looking for a place to find maybe some joy in life, you were prompted to come here, and I would just want you to know that that's, that's the Holy Spirit leading you to be here, and uh, no matter what the reason is why you're here, we just want you to know that you are welcome here, and my, my prayer and my hope is this, that, that, uh, that you would feel like this is a place that you could call home. Now, I, I want to be totally honest with you. I like saying this every week for, for you, and so if you've been here many times, you know uh, we say this over and over again, uh, if you're looking for a perfect church, We just want to admit right now that Thrive is not a perfect church because we are filled with imperfect people who are becoming the church on the mission with Jesus to bring hope and healing to the world. And so we're kind of on a journey and we're gonna do everything we can to try to represent Jesus, to kind of follow Jesus wherever he leads, to to live in community with other believers and be encouraged and sharpened by one another. We wanna meet real needs in our communities wherever we kind of see those needs happening. We wanna be outrageously generous with everything that God's given to us, our time, our talent, our treasure. And most of all, we wanna talk about what God's doing in our lives. And so that's what we, when we say we're on a journey, those are some of those kind of like markers that we like look at to kind of look at ourselves and say, am I, am I doing these things? Am I kind of living out what we call our Thrive Five? They're not perfect, but they're a way for us to kind of measure how we're doing, to kind of look at ourselves, not to look at someone else, but look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I becoming more like Jesus? And so my hope is that as you're with us here today, you feel a connection, maybe a sense of belonging. And over the next couple of weeks, I hope that you'll come back and discover that Thrive is a place that you can call home. Today, we're continuing in a series that we started two weeks ago. We're looking at people's lives, people who experienced a breakthrough because of Jesus. Now, breakthrough moments happen in most of our lives when we're experiencing a point of tension, a, a kind of a, a rough patch, or maybe like uh, we're feeling like we're coming up against some resistance in life and we need a breakthrough. Spiritual breakthrough happens when we truly put our hope and our faith in Jesus and allow Holy Spirit to do a work in us that leads us to a deeper maturity in Christ. That's really what a spiritual breakthrough is. It's going to the next level in our relationship 
with Christ. And sometimes that means that we kind of, we run up against some tension, some opposition, some frustration, that life as a follower of Jesus isn't always perfect. And if that's something that you were told or you believe growing up that, man, if you're a Christian, your life has to be perfect. Man, I just, I, I grew up kind of in that mindset. And I just want to say to you that, man, I'm so sorry. And I hope that here at Thrive that, that you never feel like you have to be perfect. What I hope is that, that each and every one of us that's here, that we know that we don't have to be perfect, but we also want to continue to grow and become more like Christ. And so um, this tension point, these breakthrough moments are something we should all look forward to. Instead of running from them, instead of trying to avoid them, like many of us like to do, we don't like tension. We don't like kind of feeling stress in life, right? Especially when it's in our spiritual lives. But when we hit something that kind of makes us go, man, I don't, man, I'm struggling with this idea. I'm struggling with this spiritual thought. I'm struggling with something the Bible says. And so we come up against that. And so sometimes we just need to ask God, God, help me to break through. Help me to discover what it is you're trying to show me and to teach me, Right? And so um, what we want to do is we want to lean into what James said, right? James said in, in uh, chapter one, verse two through four, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, you could call that tension. You could call that a roadblock. You could call that a wall. You could call that a speed bump, whatever it is. Whenever something like that comes your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Everybody say joy. That feels counterintuitive, doesn't it? You meet opposition or you meet a, a place in your life where you kind of feel like, ah, count it a joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, when we say perfect and complete, that's perfect in Christ, not perfect here on this earth. Can we just understand that? That Christ in his work in us, makes us holy and perfect in his sight. Troubles, roadblocks, tensions, pressures, they're all signals to us that a breakthrough is on the horizon. So let's lean into those seasons and know that God is about to work in us and mature us. But here's what I know, we're gonna need the Holy Spirit's help, amen? And so let's take a moment and invite Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning as we talk about uh, a passage where we see a breakthrough happen. Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your wisdom to come and fill us today as we dive into another example of the power of supernatural breakthrough that Jesus brings to those who are in him. We pray that our hearts would be open to hear your voice, that we'd hear it speak to us clearly, that our eyes would be able to see you moving and that our hearts would be soft, able to respond with openness and with obedience to whatever you ask of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I got a question for you. Did you know that pigs can swim? Did you know that? Uh, I, I didn't know that pigs could swim. In fact, let me, let's look at this picture. There's this place in the Bahamas where people actually go to this beach where there are pigs that just kind of hang out and they go and they swim with pigs. Now I can understand swimming with dolphins. Dolphins are cute. They're fun. They're playful. But pigs, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know why you'd want to swim with pigs, but people do it. People go and they swim with pigs and they, they enjoy that. I, I honestly didn't know that pigs could swim. In fact, like, just look at them. Like, if you've ever looked at a pig, the size of their little feet are disproportionate to the size of their body. Like, they have tiny, like, compared to their bodies, their feet are tiny. They're these little things, right? Like, how do they even, like, how does that even 
get them anywhere, those little feet, you know? And, and then like, they're so big. And like, you would assume that maybe like the reason why they can swim is because they're kind of fat, but actually pigs are really lean. Like they don't have a ton of fat on them. That's why we like, you know, like some people like eating pork because it's a lean meat, right? And so like, it's, it's just like, how do pigs swim? And maybe here's the thing, like I was thinking about it and I was like, why did I ever think that pigs couldn't swim? I mean, elephants can swim. Why couldn't pigs swim, right? And I think it goes back to a story as I was growing up in the church, a story that I heard a couple different times, many times, in fact. And I think it was uh, this story about when Jesus met a man who was filled with evil spirits and he cast these evil spirits out of this man and he, he cast them into these pigs. And then what happens is the pigs kind of go a little crazy. They jump off a cliff. And then they fall into the water and they drown. And so like in my brain, like I'm thinking maybe that's why I thought pigs couldn't swim because if they could swim, then they wouldn't have drowned, right? And so I kind of had this assumption that pigs couldn't swim. And what happened was when, when these pigs fell off and, they, and they, they died, all the people got angry. Like the people of that area got angry because it wasn't just like four or five pigs. It was, it was a lot of pigs, like it was like a plethora of pigs, right? And so they got angry and they got so focused on the fact that all these pigs died that they forgot that this man who had been filled with demons had been set free. And so what I wanna to do today is I wanna take time to look at this story a little bit more. And I want us to kind of think about how it can apply to us and this idea that God wants to lead us as his followers to a breakthrough, now, there's going to be an opportunity for maybe some of us in this room who've never made a decision to follow Jesus to kind of hear the hope that comes from Jesus and have their own spiritual breakthrough this morning. But I want to speak in some ways to those of us who are already calling ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus. And I want us to look at this passage maybe, maybe with a fresh perspective this morning. And so I want to do that with us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse one and we'll kind of read through this whole passage through verse 20. It'll be up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bibles today. I encourage you to bring your Bibles when you can. There's something about holding it in your hands, being able to underline it. It's okay to underline in your Bibles, right? It's okay to write little notes. And I know there's actually Bibles out now where people have like big margins and they can draw pictures and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay, it's okay. Like the more you interact with God's word, the more it will sink into your heart. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Now, before I jump into the actual story, I want to give a little context. Uh, in, in chapter four of Mark, Jesus has just spent the whole day teaching his disciples. And there's a crowd of people that are around, but Jesus is really focusing in on his disciples. He's kind of laying out some of his kind of uh, theology, kind of what he's going to be about over the next several years as he teaches and, and so he begins to share these ideas. And one of the stories that he shares is this idea of soils. That there's different types of soil and there's a seed that gets, that gets thrown out on the soil and the seed goes everywhere. It's not discriminatory. It's not like he, he just the seed goes in one little spot here or there, but like the, the farmer casts the seed out everywhere and it falls in all these different types of soil. The, the hard path and the rocky soil and the, the soil that's filled with weeds and, and the good soil. That's important for us to hang on to and remember as we kind of continue on into chapter five. But, but what happens is this, after Jesus gets done teaching his disciples, they decide to get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. And as they do that, remember, there's several disciples who are experienced fishermen. 
experience. They, they've been through kind of every kind of storm you can be in on the Sea of Galilee, but they're crossing over the Sea of Galilee to go to a new destination that Jesus is kind of telling them to go to. And so as they're making their way, this massive storm comes, huge storm, like so much so that even the most experienced fishermen are afraid for their lives. And, and what's Jesus doing? He's just chilling. Not a care in the world. Disciples come to him. They're like, Jesus, don't you see what's going on? He's like, oh, you have little faith. And he, he gets up and he says these three words, peace, be still. And the, the storm just calms and dissipates, proving that he has this power over nature. Right? And so, so I just imagine the disciples, like they just had this, I mean, the adrenaline, right? Like if you've ever had a rush of adrenaline, fear for your life, and all of a sudden that kind of dissipates and now the, that kind of the fear is gone. How many of you have ever been in that place where your hands are like shaking, your legs are a little weak, and you're just like, you know, arms are sweaty, spaghetti stains on my shirt already. Okay, um, right? So they, they pull the boat up to the shore and immediately they encounter this man. And so we're gonna jump right in right here with chapter five, verse one. I'm gonna read this whole section. And so just kind of follow along with me because it tells the story better than I could. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet them. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed down before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, to you do not torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000. Everybody say 2,000. 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. What news do you think they were spreading? I don't think it was that the man was freed from demons. I think it was that this man just killed all of our livestock. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane. And what does it say? Were they all happy? They were all afraid. I want us to let that sink in for a moment. They were afraid. Then those, uh, then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
But Jesus said, no, go home and tell your family, tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So here's my question for us this morning. What is this story really about? Think about it. The demonic man had been dealt with by the community, right? Like they recognized that there was something that was different about him. There was something off about him, something that, that he didn't match up with what they wanted in their community. And so they, they kind of put him out into these isolated places. And not only did they try to just isolate him, but they tried to lock him up. Like, think about that. He didn't match what they wanted. He didn't, he, he didn't fit their, their ideal. And so, yes, he was struggling. He had his demons. He was pushed to the side. Community kind of just said, hey, if we don't see him, we don't have to worry about him. Out of sight, out of mind. They, they put him in a, his, a place where his wild actions and disturbing behavior would no longer be a nuisance or an embarrassment to the community. Sure, the demon-possessed man was still being tormented, but at least now he wasn't around them and they didn't have to think about it. And then Jesus comes along and Mark writes about what he does when he confronts this man who was held captive by demons. I love what Jesus immediately does. Like, like it's kind of funny because Mark gets a little out of order. He says, the man comes to him and bows down and says, like, don't torture us. And it says, because Jesus had already said, come out. Right? Jesus, immediately as the guy's coming to him, he's already saying, evil spirits come out of this man. He recognizes the problem and immediately tries to bring freedom. How he sets this man free is an inconvenience to the community. Jesus sets a man free of being possessed by spirits. And what does the community do? They see it as an inconvenience to them. Think about that. When we hear the story, we can get caught up in what we might consider the, an odd way in which Jesus dealt with these demons. Why would he allow them to go into the pigs? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just send them somewhere else? I wonder if Jesus was trying to make a point to the people in this community. What if this story that Mark shares is about the kingdom of God? Jesus had just gotten done talking about the kingdom of God and the kind of, the kind of soil that the kingdom of God would find root in and take root in. And so what we find here is Jesus encountering this man who many people thought was undeserving of a second chance. I wonder if Jesus was trying to show humanity how oftentimes we can impede a breakthrough of God's kingdom more than we amplify it. But sometimes we as a community of God's people can actually hinder a breakthrough in someone's life because of our own hangups, our own issues. The way the kingdom of God works is different, right? The kingdom of God wrestles control out of the hands of humanity, doesn't it? Everything about being a part of God's kingdom is about sacrifice and surrender of control. When we are weak, we are the strongest because Christ is working in us. But look at their way of dealing with this demoniac. 
They sent him away. They kept him apart. They pushed him aside. They treated him different. But that's not how God's kingdom works. And when we read the gospel of Mark, we find that God's kingdom comes with power. Mark loves to talk about the power of the kingdom of God, which is seen in Jesus. Power to do things that humans can't do. Just a moment before, Jesus calmed the storm. That's not possible for humans to do. But Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who came to save is able. And not only is he able to calm the storm, he immediately turns and says, I don't just have power over the storms. I have power over the spirits as well. Jesus came to transform. He came to break through our human societal failings. He forces us to perceive the truth that God's kingdom best takes root in the marginalized, the outcast, and those seemingly most insignificant. I want you all to think back. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus today, I want you to think back to how you felt before you surrendered to Jesus. Did you feel like the person that was worthy? Maybe you were a person that was pushed out of the, the group. Maybe you were the person that was ostracized. Maybe you felt alone. You felt sad. You felt all of these different things. Maybe you didn't act the right way. Maybe you didn't think the right way. Maybe it didn't fit in with everybody else. And so you were pushed to the outside. The kingdom of God best takes root in the marginalized, the outcast, and those seemingly most insignificant. This runs counter to the status quo of what we usually see in our current society, doesn't it? Don't we like to rank things, but like whoever has the most power or wealth or fame or influence, they are given the elevated status. They're the ones that are given the, the hands, the, the helping hands. They're the ones that are, that are kind of treated with kid gloves. But that's not the kingdom of God. The story of a changed demoniac answers a question that lingered at the end of chapter four. Who is the good soil? You see, Jesus was talking about these soils, but he was, he was trying to help us understand that there's, there's different types of people. There are those who have hard hearts, like the, the path that's been beaten down and the seed will never take root in those who have a hard heart. He's talking about people who, who are like the rocky soil where the rocks just kind of keep the, the seed from being able to really sprout and have life and have roots or the weedy soil where, where the, 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 the fruit grows, the flower grows quickly, but then the weeds just choke it out. Jesus is saying, the seed grows best in good soil. Is the good soil the religious leaders? Is the good soil the holier than thou rule followers? Is the good soil the spiritually sensitive? Like I, I'm spiritual, I'm a spiritual person. I really, I believe in a lot of you know, spiritual things and I, I, I understand that there's something bigger out there for me, but like, I don't know about this personal God thing. In this passage, what we find is this, that the seed clearly has taken root in this man who had been demon-possessed. That at the moment of encountering Jesus, the first thing he does is he falls on his knees. Even the spirits inside of him recognize the power of Jesus. 
And Jesus speaks to this legion and casts them out. And immediately this man's life is transformed. Immediately this man understands he is no longer an outcast. That he now has the opportunity to be accepted. He now has something more than what he ever had before. This change comes about through no human in, uh, initiative. In the demoniac, the, the reader finally sees this example of a good soil. It's a heart that's open, a heart, a heart that's receptive. Even after being completely controlled by these other spirits, his heart is receptive to the spirit of God. His heart is open to receive the new life. And we know it's good soil because what does he do immediately after receiving this, this transformation, after encountering Jesus and Jesus letting his power flow through him and cast out these demons that have been controlling him, oppressing him, damaging his spirit, damaging his body. What is his immediate response? Can I be one of you? Can I be one of your disciples? I wanna go with you, Jesus. That's his first response. The, the seed has been planted and it's already begun to grow. He's passionate about wanting to be with Jesus. So what if this story is a living example of Jesus's parable of the soils? The seed takes root in the absolutely last place that anyone on earth would expect it in a formerly demon-possessed man. What if the story demonstrates what happens when hope in Jesus creates a breakthrough and a life transformed? The saved man earnestly asked Jesus if he might be with him. He asks if he can be one of his disciples to walk with him, to grow with him, to become more in tune with who Jesus is. But instead, Jesus does something interesting. Immediately, he tells him to go and preach this mission, preach this good news that you've now received. Tell everyone in the community around you, what a plot twist, right? Friends, many of us in this room, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we can kind of, in some ways, identify with the demon-possessed man because each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus today understands that at some point in our life, there was a darkness that overwhelmed us, that controlled us. There was a sin that kind of consumed us and we lived for ourselves and we desired for ourselves and we did all of those things for ourselves. Oftentimes, harming ourselves and harming those around us. And no matter how hard we tried to get it under control, we'd always break through those chains and we continue to live in the sin that we had. Many of us can identify with that. We understand that we were once like the demon-possessed man, maybe not possessed ourselves, but controlled by the, the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh, living for our sinful desires. But then Jesus somehow broke through and changed our lives. Many of us in this room are a testimony of a transformed life. But here's the harder truth to swallow. Oftentimes, many of us as disciples act like the townspeople. We act like the townspeople. What does that mean? We see the sin in other people. We see them bound in oppression, maybe full of rage and anger. Or we see people that don't look like us or sound like us or smell like us or live like us. And so what do we do? Do we push them away from this community? 
Do we tell them to go find their own way? Do we, by our actions and attitudes, keep them from experiencing the hope that only comes when they experience a breakthrough with Jesus? Do we, like the community in this story, get upset when those who are being transformed affect our status quo? Begin to kind of challenge us to think differently? Begin to challenge us to kind of see people differently? Begin to challenge us and kind of upset this like fun thing that we get to do on Sunday mornings when we start to see people who've been transformed and, and, and maybe they're, str- they're still figuring things out. Do we complain about the dead pigs or do we celebrate the changed life? The truth is, part of the reason why many people look at the church and say, it's not for me, it's because we've forgotten that we were once like them. Meaning that, that we were struggling in our sin. And now that we're saved, it's so easy for us to kind of step back and go, oh man, life is good. Look, look, at, all of the, look at all of the pigs that I have. Look at all of that. That's, that represents all of my wealth and all of my security and what represents all of it. Look at all that I have. And we get more worried about the pigs being dead. We tell the community about, wow, look at, look at that person over there. I can't believe somebody walks in and maybe they, they don't look the freshest. They don't smell the freshest. They don't talk the freshest, but they're here because somehow they've heard and they've seen Jesus and they've come ready to humble themselves and they're here. How do we respond to them? We're more concerned about the pigs, what's gonna have to change, how we're gonna have to adjust, that I might have to sit next to somebody that maybe looks different, sounds different, smells different, all of those things, and go, you know what? Jesus brought them here. The breakthrough that we need to pull from this story, it's so easy for us to think, oh yeah, I need to lead somebody to Jesus. No, the breakthrough is for us who are believers today. Those of us who call ourselves disciples, we have to look deep in our hearts and ask ourselves, am I creating a pathway for someone to come to Jesus? Or am I creating more boundaries? Something we all have to consider. I I know, I'll be the first to raise my hand. This is still a process for me. I grew up as a Christian kid in a Christian home, going to Christian schools. And so like, so like I was around Christian people. I didn't understand what it was like to live around people that maybe live differently than me. I still struggle with that because for 20 years of my life, 20 years, I was inside my little church bubble, my little Christian bubble. And so I'll be the first to raise my hand that I'm like looking at this and I feel convicted. I know, like, this is Mother's Day, and you're like, come on, Pastor, she's supposed to be lighthearted on Mother's Day, but here's the thing. Think about these people and think about the fact that there's someone's son, someone's daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but moms are great at praying for their lost children. Moms have a heart for their children. My father-in-law is saved and knows Jesus because his grandma prayed for him. Introduced him to Jesus. May we all have that kind of heart. 
And we all have that kind of desire to see others come into a relationship with Jesus. Thrive, my prayer is this, that we are a church that is kingdom-minded, that our first thought and desire is to help bring people into God's kingdom, to invite them to the table, to give them a place to receive the seed of salvation, to let them hear the gospel message, whether it's through our lives or through a time here on a Sunday morning, or it's through your just speaking with them and being a friend. Because our desire is that they would experience a breakthrough that transforms their life. That they would be like this demon-possessed man whose life was radically changed when they encountered Jesus. So much so that he began to testify about the goodness of Jesus. And his only experience with Jesus was that he was once demon-possessed and now he's not. But that's a story he can tell. Jesus transformed you. But what's your story? How are you gonna share it? I wanna challenge all of us who called ourselves disciples of Jesus today to examine our hearts this morning. And as we do that, I wanna invite our worship team to come. What is your real response when you encounter someone who's lost in darkness? What's your real response? Be honest with yourself. When you encounter somebody who you know is not a Christian, they're living a totally depraved life, they're living a life totally separate from the grace and the love of Jesus, what is your genuine response to them? Do you want to push them to the graveyard? Do you want to try to control them? Do you want to try to tell them what to do? Or do you want to help them see Jesus? If your first response if you're honest with yourself and your first response isn't compassion or empathy, then today is a day for repentance. And like I said, I will be one of the first ones to raise my hand and say, Jesus, I need to repent. I don't always do it, but I, I still find myself at times not giving space for those who are oppressed and worn down and outside of your grace. I don't always create enough space for them to come in. And so today I wanna to encourage those of you who have a relationship with Jesus to examine your hearts, especially as we come to the communion table in just a few moments, because the Bible tells us that when we come to the communion table, we should examine our hearts and that if there's any sin or if there's any wickedness, if there's anything inside of us that needs to be confessed, anything that we need to bring before the Lord so that our hearts are in the right place to receive and to remember what Jesus did for us, that he died for you and I. That we would have our hearts in the right place. And I believe that there might be some here this morning who probably feel like you can relate to the demon-possessed man, not that you're possessed, but that you feel like you're on the outside. You don't have a community. You're feeling lonely. Maybe you're feeling full of rage and anger at the life that you're currently living. I want you to know that Jesus crossed a storm-filled sea to meet with a demon-possessed man just so that man could experience a spiritual breakthrough. And Jesus came from heaven to earth and died on the cross, suffering immense pain and torture. He died on that cross and was raised again on the third day to prove to you that he wants relationship with you, that he would go that far for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he's willing to do for you to have a breakthrough with him. 
The demon-possessed man didn't do anything to earn his freedom from this oppression. He simply came to Jesus and humbly offered his life. And you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to earn your way into relationship with Jesus. It's about his free gift of grace to us. And Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, it says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that, that you want him to be in control of your life, that you don't want sin and the, the sin nature to control you anymore. You want God's kingdom nature to control you. You want Christ to fill you and control you. If you believe in your heart and you confess, you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That a relationship with Christ will never lead us to disgrace. Our life apart from him will, but a life in him never will. And so if you're ready to experience a spiritual breakthrough this morning, if you're ready to declare Jesus as Lord and to surrender your life to his leading, I wanna ask that you would repeat this prayer after me and for those of you who said a prayer like this, maybe you need a refresher. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I need to come back. I've been wandering off. This is my chance to come back and just make my heart right before you. Would you just add your faith to those who might be saying this for the first time and repeat these words after me. Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that your sacrifice for me is the only way to be saved. I receive your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life, transform the way I think. I want to be more like you. Give me the courage to obey you today and all of my tomorrows. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for Thrive Online this week. For more information about our church, go to thrivesquim.com and fill out a connection card. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will see you next week, either in person or right here on the Thrive Online podcast.